Hi, this is Matt Michelotis, author of the great C.S. Lewis reread at Tor.com. You're listening to Pints with Jack. Love people, use things. This is Pints with Jack, Season 6, Episode 29. Bareface, After Hours with Marie Bates. Hello everyone and welcome to Pints with Jack. We've had Juliana Slager on the show a few times to talk about her adaptations of Lewis's works to ballet. Well, today my wife and I are going to talk about one of her ballets that we've seen because we went to Chicago to see the final performance of Bareface, her adaptation of Lewis's second best book, Till We Have Faces. And the quotation at the start of this episode was the tagline to that ballet. Love people, use things. Drawing upon the themes of the four loves which are found throughout Till We Have Faces. And in this episode, you're going to hear what we thought about the ballet. We're going to cover everything, much like King Trom's daughters. The good, the bad, and the ugly. And my guest today obviously needs no introduction. Marie Bates is my wife, mother of my children, co-host of Pints with Jack. Ooh, Yay! <laughs> I've been upgraded. No, no, get back to where you are. Co-host of Pints with Chesterton. Yes, and all-around hottie, Marie Bates. <laughs> Welcome to Pints with Jack. Thank you so much for having me. It's actually been a while since we've done an episode together. Have we done it since we were married? What did we discuss? Have we done one on England? Our last England trip? No, we talked about doing it. Oh. But we were so exhausted at the Gosh. end of it, we just, you know. Gave, last, gave up and went to sleep. The last three years of marriage have been a blur. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I can't remember. Well, I am today enjoying a nice Newcastle brown ale. I went shopping with your brother Andrew, and we have stocked up the fridge downstairs. And what pregnancy-friendly drink are you drinking? I am having a cup of English breakfast tea, as per usual. Didn't I train her well? <laughs> well, cheers. Cheers. So, Bareface. I thought before we actually get to talking about the ballet, that we would begin by sharing our expertise and credentials as to what qualifies us to review <laughs> a ballet. So, so what are they? <clears throat> well, I am an elite athlete. Mm -hmm. Um I basically feel at this point in my life that I can't touch my toes. And if I move too quickly, I might throw my back out in this pregnancy. But <laughs> I'm an elite athlete. And so really, really, I'm qualified to, to judge the dancing. Hmm. That's how I feel. Yes. <laughs> but what about you? Well, I, I was going to say, obviously, I'm the same. I mean, you know that I have the body of a god. <laughs> uh, that god is Buddha. Buddha. <laughs> With an appropriately sized belly, <laughs> thanks to drinking Newcastle Brown Ale, the sponsor of today's show. Oh, we, we don't have a lot of ballet experience in all actuality. Actually, how many ballets have you actually seen? I've seen two. Many years ago, I saw The Nutcracker in San Diego. Uh, I think by the San Diego Ballet. Mm -hmm, me and too. And then we saw the California Ballet Company because our, our dear friend Mary Jane was performing with them. She was in their company for a while. And I, 
I think it was Carmen and some other scenes from other things. Mm, but it was like, it was like four, four sections of different ballets. Yeah. We both love ballet, I mm-hmm. would say. I always, I'm always stunned by the athleticism and the beauty of it. But um, I don't have a lot of experience with it. I didn't grow up super cultured or anything. Um, <laughs> how many have you seen? Uh, I think, I'm going to say about four. I, I've seen The Nutcracker a good number of times. Mm. at the San Diego Civic Theater and I think in England at least once and I've seen all of Carmen I've seen Swan Lake and the the one that we went together when we were dating mm. so that being said though we enjoy ballet take everything that we say with a grain of salt <laughs> because we're not experts as we discuss this ballet we're just lovers of Lewis lovers of what Juliana is doing so here we are. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we are in Chicago. We got to meet Juliana's husband just before we went into the theater itself, which mm-hmm. was wonderful because I interviewed her on a video interview. He knew what I looked like. <laughs> yeah, he was very kind. Mm. So we got our snacks, we went into the theater, and as the curtain comes up... Wait, we... babe, can we talk about the lady who was sitting next to us? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so miserable. So, so angry. (laughs) (laughs) So many people were so happy to be there. That was really apparent. Everybody around us was chatting about the book, chatting about what they kind of were anticipating about the ballet, just happy to be with their friends. And then this lady was sitting next to us and she was so mad at me because I kept rustling my gummy bear bag. <laughs> and I, I do have to qualify this. It wasn't like you were, you were really seriously rustling it. It was just like, on occasion, you might hear the slightest crinkle. And then, I... worst thing ever, I had to cough. And she literally <laughs> leaned in front of David yeah. and looked over at me. Glared at you. And I just didn't look. I was too scared. <laughs> and the funny thing, there, was, there, was a, there were a couple of spaces further to my left that she, she could have moved. moved away from us, yeah. Or, you know, taken, anyway, a, taken a bit of a chill pill. She's a I, friend of Jesus, yeah. and we love her. <laughs> I, I do just want to point out, though, it wasn't like you were making much noise at all. It was just the slightest noise. And she like popped up and just glared at you. Yeah. Well, anyway. (laughs) So it was very funny. Yeah. So the curtain rises and the ballet begins, and we get to see each of the characters for the first time. We get to see Mm -hmm. how they're portrayed. So I think let's just talk about each of the characters in turn and just say a few things about our initial impressions. Okay. Uh, and also a- as they developed throughout the ballet. So sure. let's begin with King Trom. What do you make of him? He was, I thought, really well cast. His uh, physique was tall. He and was he, huge. He was, or, I don't know if he's actually huge, but on stage he looked huge. And compared to some of the other dancers, he looked huge. But he was perfect for the part. I thought physically he really... He really fit the part well. He also really got across that powerful, domineering mm. personality of King Trom. You felt that his, uh, uh, I don't know, intimidated by him he, immediately. Yeah, his oppressive nature. I'm just going to put my cards on the table straight away. And I'm going to say, I think that's the number one thing I got out of this ballet. I really got to feel much more how oppressive and domineering he was. Yes. Just a nasty, a nasty character. Like it was almost impossible to live 
near in his life you Mm -hmm. know what i mean to be another character in his life yeah i felt that too and not only was he tall very often he was put up on there were there were various pieces of staging and and ladders and stuff he was he was always up high looking down on those around him i thought that also was a really clear indication of who he was Mm. because we were confused at the beginning of the ballet there was so much going on and so many people being introduced that the characters who had really clear um, signs or cues of who they were really helped to ground us in what was going on and what part of the story we were hearing Mm. well then let's go on to the next one and that's the fox Mm. and his movements were all so smooth the the the, the phrase that that came into my head was a man of harmony the the way he moved almost reminded me of tai chi yeah Uh, and he was also very light on his feet Yes. Like appropriately, you know, like a like fox. A fox. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and he was also uh, smaller, uh, came, came across as more scholarly. Maybe it was just because he was next to the king, who I think was huge. Um, uh, but really just ev- everything that he did, all of his movements just exuded empathy, particularly when he was around Orwell and Psyche and yes. Redival. There was a calm and a, yeah, and a, as you said, a smoothness to his movements. I thought he was, you know, I know that all of these people are amazing dancers and can do things that we can't even dream of. But well, Like touch their toes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> someday, someday. But um, he in particular and a few others, or maybe two others, I thought, you know, you could tell what a beautiful light-footed dancer they were just because he was so, I, I don't know, he was so expressive about how he um, portrayed his character. Hmm. And you and you got from the beginning that he loved the girls, yeah. Which I thought is such an important part of the story because he's he's a complex character who plays in a very important role in this book, and the love of the girls is crucial. And Juliana nailed that. Mm. And there were even some sections where you could see him teaching them. So he he would do a movement, and the girls would start copying him. Mm. You you get to see his tutelage in that way, which I I really liked. Mm-hmm. Let's now talk about the priest. So in the book, it's the priest of Ungit. They explicitly changed it here to the priest of Aphrodite. And the fox in the book, he connects the two very clearly. Yes. Uh, and so I actually liked that name change because it made it just a little bit clearer as to what deity we were talking about so and more accessible to more people right to mm-hmm. talk about aphrodite yeah unget is Who? is lewis <laughs> lewis's invention right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. there were two significant things i think with the priest first of all the priest wore a mask and it was a it was a very stylized bird's head yes uh, and whereas in the book the bird's head is on the priest's chest here it covers the priest's face and i thought it was brilliant yeah yeah because you don't get to see the priest's face you know there's a whole whole lot of layers of mystery uh, 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 and, and and meaning behind till we yes, have faces yes you know, he, here is here is a, a priest whose face we don't even see worshiping a god whose face we do and don't see we'll, yes. we'll, we'll, we'll talk about Ungid actually in a moment but the thing that was innovative i don't know if this was done on purpose or just they found the dancer that they wanted the priest was played by a woman not a man and I found for myself, because in my head, the priest of Unger is a man, seeing the way that this dancer moved, it looked, it looked uncanny. It's like the Uncanny yes. Valley. There's something wasn't right about it in my head, thinking that this is a man. Which was perfect because of all of the supernatural elements of this character. Mm. You felt like this 
oddness as you were watching a woman's like because when even just when a woman walks and then of course when a dancer walks it's so much more expressive it's like the way their hips move and the way their whole body moves it it really really solidified this sort of otherworldliness about the priest yeah it actually put me in mind of if you've seen those those exorcism movies when the person who is possessed moves strangely in an uncanny fashion it, it was the same slightly disconcerting effect well then let's go on to bardia what do you make of him bardia was one of my favorite characters in the whole ballet um i thought bardia his wife ansit and psyche were particularly beautiful at you know when they were dancing but also they really really sold their character you really believed who they were. Um, Bardia was very militaristic mm-hmm. and loyal and strong. And precise. And precise, Like a yes. soldier. I thought he was perfectly cast. And also, when we listened to the Q&A after the show, it was so clear that he really understood and had mm-hmm. uh, what embraced his character uh, role and that he had studied the work and not just um, not just taken on the work of the ballet, but he had really tried to understand what Lewis was doing with Bardia. I bet he listened to season three of Pints with Jack. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. So Bardia is married to Ansit, and Ansit had a slight, slightly enhanced role in this ballet. Um, Which I liked. Yes, me too, because she basically leads the troupe of dancers when they're in the mines. And the mines itself is also expanded in in the ballet. And that scene was probably the most iconic, I would say, of of this particular ballet. When I think of this ballet, I think of the mine scene. So the stage is mostly in darkness and the dancers have headlamps on mm-hmm. and are moving. And it's it's the it's the dance of light and the outlines of the silhouettes which which produce this this wonderful effect. Yeah. I thought that that scene was one of the most striking scenes of the entire ballet. At the same time, I thought it was a little bit long. Mm, Perhaps could have spent a little more time in other places on other scenes, but really, really visually interesting. And the dancers were really amazing Mm -hmm. in that scene as well. And I'm sure we'll talk about it in a little bit. Uh, the scenes with Ansit, Bardia, and Orwell were fantastic. But we'll, we'll get to that in a moment. Yes. So the next character is Cupid himself. Mm-hmm. Cupid was also a beautiful dancer. Like I said, he and Psyche and Bardia, I think, might have been, you know, favorites of mine if I had to pick favorites. But Giuliano was really creative about having him in the background of the scenes um, before it was actually his main time to come into the scene, which was really cool. And once again, they utilized sort of like these ladder platform, rolling ladder platform things that were coming in and out of the stage. And it it gave dimension to the scenes. Um, And you also saw that Cupid's hand was on the events. Yes. That he was in the background throughout. Yes, and in a way that, in a way more so than a human being would be. Yeah. I mean, it really it really captured the essence of the fact that something supernatural is going on here. And the 
the villagers and the townspeople see one way of faith, if you will, and it's somewhat superstitious. And it, but you know, they have their traditions and their way. And then, but you see that it's not all like fooey. <laughs> that there really is something supernatural going on. There really is this God who's interacting with human beings. So that was really cool. I thought Cupid was awesome. Hmm. So let's go to then the next deity, which was Ungit or Aphrodite. And Did you like the mannequin? Okay, so she was a mannequin, a black mannequin, mm-hmm. in a very fancy queen-like dress. What did you think of that? It took me a few beats to work out what was going on. Mm. But when I did, I absolutely loved it. Mm. Because yeah. it wasn't initially clear, actually, is this a mannequin? Is this yeah. literally a, a mannequin that's holding a dress that somebody is going to put on in a moment? Yes. It was only when we got into uh, a worship scene... Uh, with the priest, and that that bit was particularly uh, creepy and amazing. Um, <laughs> uh, but when that happened, then I connected. Okay, this must be Ungit. Yes. And speaking of that, I think if that worship scene had been earlier, if when Ungit had been introduced, it had been in the context of worship. I think I'd have got that straight away. Yeah, yeah. My first thought was, oh, is that because the there was this gown on the mannequin, which, like David said, once we realized, we thought, yes, that's that really works, but. At first, I just wondered if Oral was going to put this dress on when she became queen someday mm-hmm. or, you know, we were try- kind of trying to figure it out. But I, I liked the black mannequin because in the book, it's black stone, right? Mm-hmm. And it was, it was a really nice interpretation of that to bring onto stage. Yeah, I think it would have been a little weird for it just to be a block. I think we would have probably realized what it was sooner, but I, I, I think I preferred the, the mannequin. Me too. All right, well, then we get on to the final characters, which were the sisters. And here I'm going to say it was a bit confusing to begin with because they're all wearing similar costumes. They are all beautiful brunettes, just like my wife. Uh, (laughs) And and also, I'm a bit old and I can't see well. We had pretty good seats, but it was initially hard to work out who was who. Yes, I think this is because they were showing the girls from when they were really young and then them growing up together, right? And then them as women. And it was tough because while the costumes were really beautiful, and I was telling David yesterday when we were chatting about this, that the costumes looked like gowns to me in a Mm. way. And it was so amazing to see such beautiful dresses, basically, but that were they had the lightness and flowiness that you want in a ballet. (laughs) Um, But they were so similar in color. The girls were so similar in their coloring. And, you know, as the ballet went on, one of my favorite things was all of the uh, pieces of colorful cloth that Orwell collects as she sort of like sucks away people's lives and, Mm. you know, makes her mistakes. Basically, she's got this like collection of colorful cloth that they are gathering around her waist as it goes. So you can definitely tell who she is. She also puts on a sort of like a, it was like almost looked like a diamond encrusted veil. Yeah. Think Phantom of the Opera mask, but thinner and bedazzled. So that set her apart, obviously, but I think we both said, okay, for our old blind eyes, it would have been useful (laughs) if maybe Redival was in red and, 
psyche was in purple or something i don't know something to sort of differentiate which girl was which Mm. but And, and maybe stagger their introductions a little bit more but i will say when um like the interaction where Orwell protects Psyche oh, that, or that, defends her. That that was the bit when I really got clued in as to who was who. I had the those words flashing in my head when yes. Orwell says that Redival had mistreated Psyche. And the next thing that she remembers, you know, when the, the red uh, ascends once more, that she's standing over her with her hands around her neck. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I also found it helpful, the scene with their mother. Yeah. Uh, because... The mother gives birth to Psyche and then dies. And up until that point, I was like, who is this with Trom- with King Trom? Um, and, I, you know, is it one of the girls? Is it? So anyway, the scene where the mother dies and then the priest comes, it was that sort of grounded me as to where we were as well. Yeah. One other thought that I had that might work, because on the stage they had a mirror, which was a, a projection. Mm-hmm. And they use it a, a few times in the show. But I think they could have actually even used the mirror in the introduction for each of the characters. Mm. So as each character dances across the stage and pauses in the, in the center, that we would see their much larger reflection yeah. or projected reflection yeah. appear in the mirror. Maybe even include their name underneath, just so we know. Yeah. Um, but so we get a, a really good image in our, in our minds. Even for the people at the back in the cheap seats, and we were not in the cheap seats, uh, <laughs> uh, but just to just to really solidify who was who, I think that could. I have think helped. that's an interesting idea. Yeah, I I do think the the screen at the back, yeah, definitely could have been utilized a little more if she had wanted to put some more words up there to sort of orient you as to where you were at in the ballet. It could it could have been helpful. Even just a line of text, maybe even from the book or. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, yeah, like yeah. like like set just setting the scene for what's about to happen. Yeah, yeah, that's an interesting idea, Fabe. And, and you could tell from the conversations around because we were earwigging on those who were sitting around us, and not just the mean lady it's like to we've my left. We talked to each other for five <laughs> hours on the way to Chicago. We don't have anything left to say to each other right now. We're just listening to others. Yeah, but <laughs> it, it was very clear that the people who were attending the ballet had virtually everyone had read till we have faces. Yeah. Um. How do you think somebody would fare watching this ballet if they hadn't read the book? It's hard to say exactly because we have read it, but I think it would be tough, to be honest. I think I would have felt lost. And and I'll say this. In my limited experience of ballets, they're way simpler. Mm. The stories are way simpler than what Juliana's trying to do, right? Yeah. It's like, okay, the Nutcracker some toys come to life at night, whatever. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, the most... Please, please follow us for more deep dives into ballet. <laughs> I won't be starting a ballet podcast anytime soon. But um, Till We Have Faces is one of the most complex Lewis books I've ever read. Mm-hmm. And like you said, it talks about all four of the loves and each character is complicated, each story is complicated. So to translate it to a wordless ballet is a challenging task. Mm-hmm. So I think I think it could have been lost on some people who aren't familiar with the story. I was really glad that she had a summary in the mm-hmm. program. Yeah. And that she said go to pintswithjack.com <laughs> for more. Um because that would be, hel- I mean, that it that was helpful mm-hmm. to sort of refresh on on the story. Yeah, I think maybe that could have even been augmented a touch more by breaking it up into 
uh, various acts. Yeah. So if somebody is look, looking at that while they're at the ballet, they can keep track of where we're at. Yeah. Or, like I said before, maybe project a line of text yeah. saying what's happening. Something like, in the kingdom of Gloam, where the goddess Aphrodite is worshipped, the king yeah. marries a new wife. Something yeah. like that. Yeah. One other option that would be available is to actually cut down the story some more. Just try to simplify it a bit. Yeah. But then I've got the problem, what do you cut? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you definitely can't, yeah. You definitely can't cut certain things because it doesn't make sense otherwise. I mean, for example, all of the interaction basically with Cupid and Psyche has to stay. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, yeah, no, I don't know what you would cut, but I, I see your point. She would have had an easier time trying to put on the nutcracker. Let's just be honest. <laughs> Uh, one other thing I wanted to talk to you about was the music. What did you make of it? I want to say two things. Some of it I really enjoyed mm-hmm. and some of it I thought was effective. Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, she had some classical music scenes that immediately after you had said to me, I loved that. That was beautiful. And I think she arranged all the music, right? Or I, she I, at least found it. I think, or, I think she know. went hunting for, for all of so, it. So... Yeah. The scene between Cupid and Psyche, their like love dance scene. Their courtship. It was so beautiful. It was, I mean, it showcased their dancing so perfectly. The music itself was very, I don't know, ethereal and uplifting. And it was, it was kind of this, it felt like a mix of like the divine and the human which I think is what classical music can do really well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she used all of these really interesting elements throughout the entire ballet that were jarring. Mm-hmm. Uh, or... Slightly like more contemporary, a little less sonorous, yes. a little less melodic. Because she wanted you to feel the discomfort of some of these characters and yeah. some of these scenes. And that definitely worked. It definitely worked. It helped you to understand what was happening because some of what happens is very disturbing. I mean, King Trom is an abusive, horrible father and king. Mm. So there were, you know, scenes with him that were jarring. And then with the priest, like you said, the woman moving as a man, sort of, it was like this uncanny valley thing. But then also the music around some of her scenes Mm. was really fitting to kind of uh, compound on that. Yeah. It, it kind of reminds me of something that happened to me when I was watching The Passion of the Christ the first time. Because mm. there's so much horrible stuff in there since you spent 90% of your time at the crucifixion. Yeah. When you had a flashback to earlier in Jesus's ministry, it was so delightful. You know, you just wanted to, oh, can we get away from the, yeah. the pain and the suffering yeah. and get you back to, to the happy going. times? Yeah. yeah. And so when, when, when the nasty stuff came back, it's like, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I thought it was really cool. I I, th- I liked how she thought about it. It was definitely more contemporary. Um, it felt like more like contemporary dance to me at many points during the show, which I think she wanted, mm-hmm. right? Yes. I, I remember when I interviewed her, she said several times it was trying to connect with a more contemporary audience that yeah. isn't steeped in quite the same ballet, I don't want to say tropes, but the, the signals that the ballet gives to the audience so that the audience can understand what's going on. So what were some of the standout moments for you? I would say 
my two standout moments, and I know you have other ones, were Orwell and Ansett fighting over Bardia mm-hmm. and Cupid and Psyche's meeting. I think those those two scenes, it was, at least to me, so apparent what was happening. The dancers, I felt, were used to their best ability in those scenes. The, the music um, pairing with it was so wonderful. And then just the emotion that you felt from the characters in those scenes was so clear. Um, the way that she choreographed those scenes, you really felt like the sorrow and the jealousy and the pain of Ansett and Orwell's interactions with each other and the just <laughs> two, two women shouldn't try to share one man. That's what we learned. Um, and then um, Cupid and Psyche, it was just this very like almost innocent mm. sort of just, yeah, like you said, very uplifting, beautiful pure scene of it felt so joyful yeah i i really loved those what were what were your favorite ones uh i mentioned the mines already i thought that scene was fantastic um i particularly liked the scene where oral gets a glimpse of the palace Mm, mm -hmm. because you see her see the palace she stands up and then the vision disappears just because that's an important scene that was that was really how andrew and i bonded uh, over <laughs> till we have faces discussing that scene. Uh, it was a really good use of the screen. Yes, yes, I did like that. Yeah. And you, you mentioned Ansit and Orwell fighting over Bardia. I thought Bardia's death and the subsequent mourning over his body, that was particularly moving. Yes. I think Juliana brought a forgiveness and a love to that uh, scene that almost was missing in the book. Hmm. It was really nice how she how she sort of rounded off that relationship with the those two ladies. Yeah. And I'm sure there were lots of other things that we missed, but one of the things that they mentioned in the Q&A afterwards, um, I didn't notice it consciously at the time, but once it had been explained to me, I went, yeah. oh, yeah, no, I did notice something was happening. Yeah. Uh, the, the sisters had a handshake, a... A movement um, which, a, which they shared. A musical interaction with each other each yeah. time, yeah. But it becomes distorted over the course of the ballet. Well, and when when Orwell basically starts trying to manipulate Psyche and she mm. doesn't actually love her because she's she's just trying to selfishly make her do what she wants her to do, that you feel the break so um closely because the movement between the two sisters all of a sudden becomes this like staccato horrible broken handshake rather than a i don't know the beautiful harmonious sort of almost playful thing that they had been doing before Hmm. now there were two scenes that i was surprised at how brief they were so the first was when orwell is going up the mountain you know the, the classic line why should your heart not dance Mm. i expected that to be a scene of her Mm. moving across the stage and the music constantly lifting her up and she she starts she starts to dance and then remembers herself and tries to shut it back down again yeah i i I think visualizing her fight with joy Mm. and and look at me i'm i'm trying to make this thing longer and (laughs) earlier i said i was like ah maybe try and cut some things down but uh, that scene I, i would have liked to have seen a little bit more a little extended, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then what was the other scene that you thought w- could have been longer? 
I would have liked to have had a little bit more when the sisters reunite. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, and, and I again, can see that. And again, something of, of, of the conflict, because Orwell is delighted to see that Psyche is alive. Yes. But at the same time, she thinks that she is under the sway of something horrible. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't disagree with you. I think, I think a little more time could have been spent in both of those scenes. That being said, I'm glad they were included. <laughs> um, but... Yeah, yeah. Maybe that's what I meant before. Like with the the mind scene was so cool visually and musically, but as far as importance in the storyline, I would have liked to see a little more between Oral and Psyche a little later. Mm. So now, now one neat thing that they did is they basically brought the plague down into the mind. That's that's where we get the scene with the plague. So it was it was pulling double duty. Yes. Uh, but yes, even then, I think uh, we, it was we had really, more... It was really moving. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, that was, that was such a cool way to visualize <laughs> that scene. Well, then let's fast forward to the end. Uh, what did you make of the ending? I enjoyed the ending. Uh, one of the things I really liked about the ending was the papers. Mm. I, I liked the use of all of the... I don't know the frantic energy you mm. you can tell she's grasping at straws and they had so much paper on the stage and <laughs> it was it was I thought a really good visual of what was going on with Orwell at the end after her reading her testimony or whatever time and time again the one thing that I would have liked to see would have been slightly more something more drawn out between Look at us slowing it down again. <laughs> I know. Orwell and Cupid. Yeah. Juliana, I think in the program, I'd have to look at our program again, but she says at the end that there's like this loving, tender moment between Cupid and Orwell right before she dies. So I was anticipating that in my head, but it was just so quick and over so fast. And I think they could have done some sort of slow dance between those two at the end and really... Like that was such an important moment, the moment of her death, that mm-hmm. it it felt so brief. To see Cupid woo Orwell in the same way that he wooed Psyche. Yeah. In that scene, if we could maybe have some echoes of that. Yeah. And the, the way I imagined this going would be that Orwell would be at her desk writing her book, and Cupid comes in, and then the two of them dance, and then the two slowly become more and more in sync as mm-hmm. she is giving herself over to divine love. And then maybe at the end of it, she then returns to her desk and Cupid stands before her and she bows her head in reverence. Mm. And then very slowly, her head goes all the way down Mm. to the desk and then fade to black. And then you know that she's died, but she's died in peace. Mm. Yeah, I think... One thing I will say about my husband is that every movie and every, (laughs) every show we've ever watched is that... He's super creative and he has his own visual of how things could go for I mean, better or worse. I mean, Martin but... Scorsese, that was how he wanted to win that movie. <laughs> now, now, what would David Bates do? No, but, but um, I agree that I, I think that could have been a really cool way to do it. And, and yeah, just to it's so important because she finally could realize that she's loved mm. and she's gone her whole life thinking she's undesirable not worthy of love not worthy of relationships and she sort of like has to trick bardia into being the love of her <laughs> life not really but you know what i mean she just takes advantage of the fact that he has to listen to her orders and he's she, super she's, loyal she's his boss yeah um but anyway so the the love that 
Cupid offers at the end is just so important. But yeah, I, I did enjoy the end of it. Any final thoughts as we wrap up? I think Juliana is way more artsy than us. <laughs> and I mean that in the nicest way possible. Like, we couldn't have done this. <laughs> we. <laughs> I think we could do a ballet just as long as it wouldn't require us to move too quickly, touch our toes. Okay. <laughs> David keeps bringing it up, so let's just put it out there. I can't touch my toes. But I am going to someday. It's just not today, and it's not until after this baby's born. Probably. How is Lucy? She's good. She's kicking away. <laughs> She's a dancer. Maybe this is what begins her inspiration. <laughs> Maybe she will be our cult- <laughs> our way of entering into culture. Yeah, she'll she'll listen to this podcast in 20 years and say, yeah, my parents knew nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Marie Bates, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. <laughs> As the landlord rings the bell for final drinks, can you please tell us where people can go to find out more about you? And also where people can go to find out more about Ballet 5-8 and Bareface. To find more about me, you can go to pintswithchesterton.com, but more so you can just pray for me because I don't do anything over there right now um, <laughs> in this pregnancy. To find out more about Ballet 5-8, go to ballet58.org. And um, I really would recommend if you can somehow see the ballet that you should and you should talk about it with your friends and, and really let it lead you to truth and beauty and goodness. And the last I heard is that they're planning on doing more performances towards the end of the year. Well, thanks again to the beautiful, wonderful, caring, sandwich-making Marie Bates for coming on to the show. And thanks to all of our listeners, our patron supporters, particularly our top-tier supporters, Matt1, Matt2, Jake, Erica, Marvin, Joelle, Deborah, Amanda, Emmy, Thomas, Bill, Joanna, Bud, Shane, Kay, Paul, Kimberly, Gillis, Gary, Stephen, Kelly, Chris, James, Kate, Peter, David, Angela, and Rowdy. We pray for you all every week, and particularly all of the prayer requests on our Slack channel. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please write us a review wherever you listen to this podcast. And normally I'd thank our audio engineer, Taylor Schroll, but I'm going to be editing this episode, so I'm going to thank myself. Thank you, baby. You're very welcome. And please join us again next time when we'll continue going further up and further in. Cheers. Cheers.